the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church Reno, we love God, love others, and make a difference. For more information, visit lifechurchreno.com. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Uh, good morning, Life Church. It's good to see you and all of you in your sub Sahara. This has been quite a week that we've had, and uh, we're glad that you're here. I, uh, I can't help but when I look around on a Sunday morning like this, I can't help but kind of wish that I had a good 20, 25 good years of ministry left in me. You know, I, um, have you noticed that this world is getting increasingly complicated? Now, what's so wonderful about that is that it really makes ministry interesting. You honestly don't know what's coming through the door. And that's kind of nice because I'm being asked questions after years and years of ministry. I'm being asked questions I've never heard before. But I'm kind of thinking that maybe the father is not surprised. And I'm kind of the guy on the scene. The ministry is always complex. And, and it's complex whether you do it for a living or you're one of those people that, that just wants to see God move and touch someone else's heart. It's, it's complex. Uh, so, so I want my life to have impact. You know, that's the question. How much impact do I, will I have and do I have remaining? And, and I would hope that you are asking the same question of yourself. What kind of impact should I be having? See, as Christians, you and I have been given a vastly superior life than anything else this world offers. That's a fact. We're, we're not modeling ourselves after a great teacher or, or embracing a, a great philosophy. We are connected to the source of life himself, the author of all of this. If that's true, then what should a relationship with the author of all of this look like? What should it produce in real time? What should it look like day by day? For me personally, but also for those whose lives I touch, I, I bump into. The truth is that maybe you and I have more to do with our impact than we know. A couple of years ago, uh, I did something to my back. And it required me to go to a physical therapist. How many of you have ever been a physical therapist? Yes. How many of you are physical therapists? <laughs> yeah, we got some of those this morning. Uh, and I'd never been to one before, so I walk in with a cane, you know, because it was necessary. And they handed me to this lovely uh, uh, but kind of brawny young lady. And I go back, you know, into the room, and it turns out that she's an intern. She's, she's not a PT yet. She's working on it. And so they just handed me over to this kid and... Um, Let's just say her hands were not finely tuned yet. It, it, felt, it felt a little bit to me like what it would, would, would feel like if you were beaten with a ham. You know? I mean, she worked me over and it hurt. And when I walked out of there, I felt so much better. I found myself looking forward to, the, to seeing this kid again. So I come back the second time, give me the same, same young lady, and she takes me in the back. She works me over again. I mean, it was a pummeling. And I walked out feeling better. 
I thought, this is, this is great. I was thinking about writing her into my will. <laughs> Come back the third time, and I go back, and she works on me a little while, and then the real physical therapist comes in. First time. And he, he starts working on me. Man, was there a difference between her hands and his. He just worked on me and worked on me. And I'm telling you, somewhere in there, I saw the glory of God. <laughs> I was feeling so much better. But he also did something in that third session that was different. He had me do some exercises. And, and then when I left, he had the temerity to hand me a, a sheet with these, with these exercises. And he said, go do these at home. Oh, well, Okay. Fourth time I come back, I have to do the exercises first. Then he works on me. Then he gives me some other exercises and he gives me another sheet. Do these exercises at home. I'm going, I'm not sure if I like this guy. I come back the next time. He starts adding stuff. There's treadmill. There's weights. There's these stretchy things. There's all this extra stuff that he starts doing. And then he hands me another sheet. Go do this at home. Finally, I said to him, I said, you know, I want to go back to the beginning where you do all the work and I just feel better. And he said, he said to me, he said, man, he said, you're just like everybody else. He said, you want me to make you feel good with no personal investment. And I said, yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> And then the guy hands me another sheet with exercises. <laughs> See, somehow this whole story has sort of become an allegory for my spiritual life. I, I want Jesus to do whatever it takes to make me feel better, but I don't want to have to put in much time or labor. Eh? See, I rationalize anyway that, that I just don't want to hurt Jesus' feelings. Because I, I don't let him, I, I want him to do all that grace stuff that he really likes. And we all know this is how grace works. I just stretch out on the table. The Holy Spirit manipulates me a little bit and I go home feeling like a million bucks. Isn't that how grace works? You wish. <laughs> See, I think you're probably just like I am. So we're going to talk about this a little bit this morning. I want you to turn with me to Mark 9, 14. Right on time. Verse 14. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whatever it, whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately I convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it is often cast him uh, into the fire and into the water to, to destroy him. And if you can do anything, 
have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if, I, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. And so that most of them said he's dead. Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. When he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Okay, here's Jesus walking into this ministry moment. He's just come from the, from the Mount of Transfiguration. He's had this glorious moment with a voice of God and the glory of God. And he's seen all these wonderful things and he comes down and he walks into this moment where his disciples are once again being dysfunctional. And he has to step in and make the difference. Now, most ministry moments work this way for Jesus. He just walked into them. It's like if we were paying attention, that's how our ministry moments would be too. In, in his normal travels, Jesus would bump into people who had needs, all kinds of needs. And, and he would reach into his tool belt and, and then he would take care of their issue. Whenever people encountered Jesus, they never left the same. That's why people sought him out. That's, that's why um, he, he was always able to, to meet this challenge. He, he always met the challenge, any challenge. And the truth is, he still meets challenges. Only now, he wants you and he wants me to be involved. Our faith is never meant to be some generic spirituality, something that we just feel. It is specific it is practical. It is aimed at particular needs and it is real in any given moment. We are meant to have an impact. You are meant to have an impact. I am meant to have an impact. But you kind of got to ask the question, how did Jesus do it? Well, he gives us the clue. It's easy to say, you know, Jesus was special. Yeah, he, was the, he was the son of God after all, and he really did kind of have a leg up on the rest of us. So I excuse myself. I step away from doing any of the exercises at home, you know, no heavy lifting, no stretchy things, none of that. I just let him do it. It's, it's just really is Jesus, you take the wheel. Well, the truth is, Jesus had submitted himself to being human in all aspects. It, it says in, in Philippians 2.5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. In other words... Jesus really did enter life just like one of us. He embraced all of its limitations, all of its temptations, all of its barriers, all of its weaknesses. Jesus had to depend on the Holy Spirit for direction and for power, always. If he had done it any other way, 
there would be no reason to believe that any part of Jesus's ministry could ever be duplicated through any one of us. He did it like we have to do it. So let me draw several observations from what Jesus is saying. First of all, constancy builds relationship. We see some consistent behavior in Jesus's life. Jesus uh, tells us success of his story. He says this kind comes out only by prayer. Well, the problem with this story is, with this episode is, we don't see Jesus praying. He commands the spirit to go out and the, and the spirit leaves. It doesn't pass go. It doesn't collect $200. It just leaves. And, and it, uh, what Jesus is talking about here is not just prayer in that moment. He's talking about, uh, he's talking about the way he lives. He's talking about how he spends his time. See, Jesus prepared for this moment all the time, not even knowing that this moment was going to come. It wasn't necessarily conscious preparation. He just was in communion with the Father. And in communion with the Father was constant. His life had constancy in that relationship. He pursued his Father all the time. And it was Jesus' pursuit of Father's relationship, the seeking and the sitting in his presence. Um, it was not just talking, but it was also listening, and that brought Jesus' life. His relationship with the Father was two-way. It was mutual. It wasn't just him telling God what he wanted. Just prior to this moment, he had been on the Mount of Transfiguration and the disciples of Jesus had heard the Father say, this is my beloved Son, listen to him. How could he say that? Because the Father knew, God knew that Jesus had been spending time with him and the Father knew that Jesus had heard him and that Jesus was only going to act on what he had heard. It says in John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Let me say that again. I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In other words, Jesus wanted to hear God more than he wanted to be heard by him. You get that? How's the difference between me and Jesus? Jesus wanted to hear God more than he wanted to be heard by him. And folks, I suspect it works the same way for you and me. See, Jesus heard from God in, the times, in these times of communion. And God would download intel or encouragement or insight or marching orders. He just, whatever was coming, the, the Father would unload it. And so as Jesus received direction, he would always act in this full confidence that the thing he heard was actually going to happen. How many of you pray that way where you believe it's actually going to happen? I'll talk some more about that. See, here's another thing. Relationship creates ministry. Also in John 5, Jesus makes this really startling claim. Verse 19, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord. Everybody understand nothing? This is Jesus saying, I can do nothing, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, 
that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel. Ah, now we're starting to get a clue as how Jesus operated at such a high functional level and why we don't. He waited to hear from the Father. See, this day-to-day discipline of seeking God in prayer, of scripture reading, of connecting with other believers, of, uh, of the, all of that generates an atmosphere in which God can work. But maybe more significantly for me, it creates an atmosphere in which I can work. I can begin to function, even in the busyness of the day. When I learn to hear God's voice in the quiet times, I can also recognize his voice in the chaos. Jesus said this, or James, James said this in James 4, 7, or 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Drawing near kind of puts you within the sound of God's voice. He says, you draw near to me, I draw near to you. And God begins to speak of his own goodness, of his own purposes, of your life and direction. The father has the chance when I draw near to him. But hearing always requires some obedience. Obedience is what drives the kingdom forward. I'm just here to tell you folks, there is no kingdom movement without obedience. But in order to obey, I've got to hear. And in order to hear, I need to be near. Are you with me? I'm encouraging you today to get near. I want you to get near. See, this is, this is what God has promised. It puts us in the sound of God's voice. Obedience drives the kingdom forward. When I spend time in prayer, several things are going to happen. A prayer, study, reflection, all those things accomplish a number of things. The first and most important thing is I get to know the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They become real to me, and I kind of get real to them. Out of that begins to come, out of knowing God, you begin to understand his character. It's his character that we trust. It's, it's knowing that he's the same all the time. I get to start to know that. I, everything that God does comes out of who he is. So everything he asks of me also comes out of who he is. He'll never ask me anything that's not out of character with him. It'll have the same spirit. It'll have this, that, same, that same sense of God's love and compassion that he himself possesses. Finally, another thing as you draw near, finally, I come to know his character. I learn I can trust his word and his voice and my ability to hear him. And I can begin acting on his behalf. This isn't the way I used to do it. Uh, uh, but that's what God that's what Jesus said. Uh, he did it. This is not my three steps to effective prayer sermon. I don't have one of those anymore. I don't have a formula for, the, for you. I only have this invitation to invite you into some, some deeper engagement with the author of life. He is waiting for that to happen. But I've also noticed that you, you have to discipline yourself if you want to arrive at the place where you desire to hear God more than you want to be heard by him. That can be my prayer as well. This routine pursuit of God builds my confidence. God perpetually has people in his focus and on his heart, and I become the means through which he touches them. Relationship creates ministry. Doing the will of the 
father begins simply enough. First, you have to want what he wants. You got to want what he wants for you. How many of you think you want what he wants for you? I think most of us shoot really short on this one. You know, it's like shoot low, sheriff, they're riding Shetlands. It, it's, we're, we're way too, we, we don't see ourselves and we don't imagine ourselves in, in the capacity of a God who has, he has me in his sights and wants to use me in place. You're doing the will of God. Uh, it, you have to do so. You've got to want what he wants. Sometimes that's, you know, that's the first step. Some of you just need to give your hearts to Jesus. It really is time. And some of you that have given your hearts, but you've kept some other stuff back, maybe it's time for you to give some of that up. Walk away from it, because it's not going to do you any good. For some of you, there's a second step that some of you just need to, to make. In a couple of weeks, we're going to baptize. You know, it's, it would be good if you've not been baptized. You should be baptized. Bible makes it plain. I'm just here to tell you, if you want to take the first step, uh, if you want to take a second step, you've got to take the first step. You can't take a third step to take a second step. So if you haven't been baptized, get baptized. We are very accommodating when it comes to this. We want you to be obedient. But then everything comes after that. Finally, it says relationship and ministry requires effort. Uh, when I'm talking about effort, I'm talking about investment. I'm talking about sometimes sacrifice. I'm talking about discipline. I'm talking about contribution and exertion. This is taking the paper home and doing the exercises at home. This is my, this is my part in this. I read somewhere that, that uh, 95% of an athlete's time is spent training and less than 5% in competing. Linda and I uh, were, were chaplains for the women's basketball team for UNR for seven years through, through Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We loved our time with them. We had so many tall women in our lives. They come into our house and they just spread out all sprawl all over the place. But we watched the discipline in those young women's lives. They did life differently than their fellow students. They had this other thing they had to do that was more important. They had to keep their grades up. They had to attend to do all of their work, but they also had all these practices. We went to practices. We went to games. We even flew to Albuquerque to watch them play in the pit. A great name for that court, <laughs> the pit. You know, we, we were involved in their lives. And one of them even lived with us for a while. And we love this time, but the dedication was different. It's kind of interesting that this same picture is a picture that Paul uses as athletic endeavor of what becomes effective in a Christian's life. This is 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one exercises, uh, excuse me, one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Are you connecting with this? This kind comes only out by prayer. What prayer? Well, the prayer that Jesus prayed all the time because he wanted to be with the Father. I have to be dedicated to the proposition that God not only wants to use me, but he has provided the skills and the power necessary for me to get in the game. 
that he wants me there. My gifts and abilities probably need some tuning. They need some development. They need some strengthening. But if I accept the fact that God wants me on the field, then I'll accept the fact that there's some things I'm probably going to have to do to get there. My life is in there. In fact, tonight, we are starting a a three-Sunday night seminar. We're going to be addressing this stuff specifically. How do you know if God's speaking to you? How do you you, uh, hear his voice above others? How do you learn to be obedient when you hear it? How do you do that with confidence? How do you expand your prayer life so that it becomes more meaningful and not just you ticking off lists of things that you want from God. All that, we're gonna, we're gonna try and cover a lot of that the next three weeks and then probably go dig into it even farther in the fall. Most of everything I've learned, I've learned by doing it. Um, <laughs> when it comes to prayer, I, I, I learned some of that really early. That, I, I learned what kind of effort that took. Uh, I grew up in, a, in an environment where prayer was the norm. My, all my examples were close by. My parents prayed. Uh, I saw them pray regularly. We prayed at every meal. We prayed over issues. But we also were at church. There were prayers. We had this thing uh, where we had to pray corporately. Even as a kid, I I went, little kid, I went to these things. We had this midweek meeting that we very creatively called Wednesday night prayer meeting. How many of you have been there? Okay. Mostly what it was, was an opportunity for a number of people to feel really superior over a whole lot of people that never showed up. Just saying. There's also a couple of grannies that always came because I suspected they were, you know, cramming for their finals. I understand that. But I also understand that there was a number of people that came and was, they were mixed in that group and they prayed because they honestly believed that God's hand would move if we would pray. And I listened to those prayers as a kid. Now, as I got a little older and started to get concerned about my own prayer life, I began to, uh, you know, I began to wonder uh, a little bit about, about how I did this. And as I, as I walked through this, this sort of jungle of figuring out how to pray, uh, I came to some conclusion. Now, Wednesday night service was always kind of poorly attended. It, was, it really was. In fact, as kids, we used to, how many of you have done this with your kids? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open it up. Yeah, here's what we did as kids, not in my parents' hearing. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open it up. Must be Wednesday night prayer. <laughs> Eight fingers. Yeah. But I, in all that, I still learned, I, I still learned how to pray. Well, these three, there were three phases that I went through as I was learning. The first one I call my fatalistic prayers. Now, you might recognize these. These prayers were well-meaning, and they had a little bit of self-motivation, but they had very little personal investment. I, I prayed, but I would tack on at the end, if it be thy will, which allowed me to release myself from any further lob- obligation. I didn't have to believe God for anything. I just tossed it to him. See, it was well-meaning, kind of high-sounding, high but the truth was, I was praying with no sense of God's will at all. I was ignorant. So I just kind of tossed out a prayer hoping God would trip over it in the dark. You know, and he would do what you know what he would do what he does. I'd crawl on the back seat and have no accountability. 
That began to bother me after a while because it just seemed like I wasn't engaged. So I, I entered my next phase, called, which I call my presumptive period. I, I began to meet some people, hang out with some people who prayed more aggressively. They were really mixing it up. In fact, this one old guy, I remember he said, we're really tearing up the pea patch. I have no idea what that meant, but I was ready to, I was ready to tear it up. In truth, what was happening was more like we were telling God what to do. You got it? I, I, I was uh, attempted to duplicate this, and, and it found me telling God how I thought God ought to be running his business, and then how he ought to be solving my problems. Truthfully, I still didn't have a clue what the Father's will was. I just found some verses that I could quote, and they became kind of formulaic. You know, I had, a, had these formulas, I quoted the right verse. I mean, after all, God gave the verse, so he wrote it, so that for is like the loophole. He had, to, he had to respond. Problem was, at the end of the day, after telling God what to do, sometimes he didn't do it. That's pretty disappointing. That began to cause me some questions. And so finally, I started asking the right questions, and I entered my third period of prayer, the one I'm still in. This one I called cooperative prayer finally began to dawn on me that God wanted to include me in the affairs of the kingdom. I saw this in Jesus' relationship with the Father, and I began to suspect he wanted it with me too. So I began to enter into a partnership. I learned to listen, usually the missing element. Jesus wanted to hear the Father more than he wanted to be heard. Do you remember me saying that? Tattoo that somewhere on your body. It's important. You see, when, I, when you begin to learn to listen, you're turning into a frequency that, that is God speaking out of his heart and concern and compassion. You get to do it with him. And it becomes incredibly more meaningful. That's some of what we're hoping to address. Having this understanding of the Father's will so that I could pray a prayer that reflected his heart in real time became my goal. I learned that, that God had a will in big things, but how many of you have discovered that God has, a, he wants to be with me in the moment, in the stuff for right now, in the questions I have at, the, at, this, at this juncture, at this person as they come, he's ready to be with me. But here's where the effort, the, the sacrifice part comes in. This is never easy. I wish it was. The moment you decide you will pursue God and you actually begin pursuing God, the risk increases because your potential increases. The discipline is a relationship in this relationship with God is real and it's necessary. So here's several things we'll end. Effort will always be resisted. A lot of things resist our growth. The devil, society, the status quo. How about my own propensity to believe I already know everything about any given subject? <laughs> Ever run into that? How about my own laziness? See, there are many reasons uh, that exist for keeping me in my current status. And usually I don't even need the devil to help me with, come up with some excuses. I do that all on my own. I am little threat to anything that is dark or destructive if I stay where I am. 
But if I continue to grow in wisdom and in compassion, and I see my confidence in God's leading expanding and my willingness to be obedient, I become dangerous to anything that holds people in bondage. It's a bit like getting a target painted on your back, but you're still ready when somebody comes up and says, can you pray for my troubled child? He's been demonized. See, here's another thing. Effort will always be painful. Don't expect this to always be simple or without effect uh, or effort or sorrow. Change is difficult, but like any worthwhile relationship, it will grow and it will change. As my trust in the Lord deepens, so does my trustworthiness. God can share his secrets with me and I can be depended on to carry them out. Finally, effort is necessary, but it's never an end in itself. People are always the end. Whatever God does in me is always good for somebody else. When I let God move in my life, it will always be to somebody else's advantage, not just me. I have... recently saw an interview with Maya Moore, who is a standout in the uh, WNBA. She's a, women, a women's basketball baller. She's, a re, she's an amazing player. She played for the Minnesota Lynx, and she put her career on hold to concentrate her energies on some justice reform. And, and Maya's a, a believer, a very outspoken believer. She focused on the release of a young man named Jonathan Irons, who, who was wrongly incarcerated at 16, and she was very critical in securing his, his freedom um, and, and, and affecting some court procedures in the process. Uh, Maya was speaking about the impact one person can have, and she said, we think that in order to have in, an impact, we have to go far and wide, but the biggest impact is narrow and deep. See, this is why Jesus was pursued while he was on this earth. Jesus went narrow and deep. He saw the individual, even in a crowd. And he understood things that God was wanting to do in their lives. And all of that has been passed on to us. We've been left with the assignment. We've been given access to the tool belt. We've been asked to employ, to be, to, to, uh, be the ones who establish the kingdom of heaven on this earth. And now we are the kingdom's agents. What should a relationship with, a, with the author of like look like? It ought to look like life. Being given away to whoever needs it. Only by cultivating our relationship with the Father, the same Father Jesus enjoyed, will we employ the hidden in plain sight secret that has the power to kick us into impacting ministry. Say, so what kind of impact do you want your faith to have? What do I want for the rest of my days? I want to make a difference. But I've come to this conclusion by myself Not much happens. But in harness, with a father that I know loves me, everything is different. The real joy in ministry is when I do it with God. That draws the kingdom into plain sight. That's what sets people free. Heavenly Father, I'm so glad you included me that God, we're just not waiting 
and waiting and waiting to go to heaven. But the God, heaven is here now, working in and through us. And that God, every one of our lives, Lord, uh, Lord, every one of our lives has, has got impact. It, it's, it's making a difference. But Father, I suspect that for all of us, we could be doing more. But the missing point is, uh, isn't that we just run around and start doing more. The Father, the more is when we spend time with you and we begin to hear from you what you want. And Lord, out of that, have the confidence to begin stepping forward. What you say is real comes real. So Father, we just thank you. Open our hearts and lives to all the possibilities that lie in front of us as the agents of the kingdom. Bless us even in this week, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this, and we'll see you soon.